0: This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour.
1: Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Welcome to the Bubble Hour.
2: Welcome
3: to the Bubble Hour. Welcome, 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 welcome welcome, welcome, to the Bubble Hour. I own it, I did that, not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power weakness head on.
0: Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to the Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to the Bubble Hour archives—a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined the Bubble Hours as a host in season two, together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine. We all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at TheBubbleHour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show.
4: Hey, everybody, this is Lisa, and welcome to the Double Hour, where real people tell real stories of alcoholism and recovery. I'm here with my co hosts tonight, Ellie and Amanda. Hey, Ellie. Hey, Amanda. Hey, hey Lisa. Lisa. Hey. And tonight, we have two very special guests that I would like to also introduce. Um, we have Amy. Hey, Amy. And Hi, Lisa. Lisa. And Lisa.
5: Lisa's on hold <laughs> at the okay. moment.
4: That's right. Um And tonight, we are addressing a topic that I would really and truly rather avoid, if I'm being honest. We're talking tonight about the shame we feel when we think of our behavior when we were actively drinking. And throughout the week, as I've been putting this show together, I've kind of dreaded it because it really makes me feel uncomfortable because it forces me to remember what I would really rather kind of gloss over. It was um, kind of hard to focus on the things that I've tried so hard to kind of forget as I was putting this all together, which is exactly why I needed to do this show. Um, I've realized that the more I face shame head-on, the more I'm actually healing. And I've come to realize that the only way out is through. So tonight, we hope you can find comfort in just hearing us share our own experiences with shame. Um, While we don't have the answers, uh, we, we feel like just knowing that we're not alone and feeling shame about the things that we did in the past while we were drinking may be the first step on your journey and um, our journeys also to moving past the regret and learning to forgive ourselves. Um, <clears throat> something we thought we mentioned that is that guilt and shame are frequently thought of as you know the same concept, and the terms are often used interchangeably. It seems that they go hand in hand. However, they are not the same. Um, those emotions involve concepts of wrong behavior, or having done something wrong, either by omission or commission. And they both involve negative emotions and feelings. And I kind of thought it would be helpful to share the difference in these two heavy words. Really and truly, the best thing I found that sums it up just perfectly, I feel, is guilt says, I've done something wrong. Done something wrong. While shame says, there is something wrong with me. Guilt says, I've made a mistake while shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, what <clears throat> what I did was not good, and shame says, I am no good. Guilt is a gentler emotion. It allows for some leeway, while shame really is vicious. It can be debilitating. And I've often thought that when I was drinking, my guilt fed my shame, and in turn, my shame fed my guilt. Um, the guilt and shame combined added to my drinking behavior. I think I, for, I drank a lot, forget my guilt and shame, then I drank some more. Um, you know, I think guilt can be healthy for me personally. It kind of keeps me in check, whereas shame is something that I have, <clears throat> that I know I've, I recognize now has the capacity to really harm me in a pretty serious way emotionally, when also physically really, because when I'm emotionally unhealthy, I'm physically unhealthy. So tonight, we're trying to get rid of our shame by speaking our truth, and we are not perfect, and I personally don't know if I'll ever really be free completely of shame, but I'm not going to give up the fight. You know, I hear people in recovery as well as normies, as normies for those who aren't aware, those are the people who can drink normally. Um, I've heard people say that they have no regrets, and I always kind of wonder at that, and I, I really hope that one day I can get to that point in my life. But for now, I can say with certainty that I absolutely do have regrets. But, you know, I kind of look at that like the regrets I have kind of keep me safe in a way because I know what I never want to repeat. So over time in recovery, I've learned that regrets can kind of become either burdens that interfere with my present happiness and restrict my future, or maybe also regrets can be motivation kind of to keep me moving forward. Um, but I can't really move forward if I'm holding on to shame. So regret and guilt and shame, it's all three very different things. And tonight, we're just going to share, just truthfully share from our own experiences of some of the shameful things we've done or, you know, that have led us to feel the things we've done that have led us to feel shame. And hopefully, it will help us all. So, Amanda, um, we'll start with you if you if you don't mind um, sharing something that you feel comfortable sharing. Sure, sure.
2: Um, so, you know, it was interesting thinking about this topic, and like you, Lisa, um, you know, I've been thinking about it all day, and my mind was all over the place. And it's a hard thing to sit there and think about. It. It's like, oh, what a miserable thing to right. think about, because it's just a place that we um, we don't want to go and I mean, for me, there's some real obvious, you know, there are some obvious things, you know, thinking about the fact that I've been arrested a couple times, a few times, and um, the shame that I felt there, you know, either when I was in um, in the police station or, you know, fortunately I was never anywhere for any length of time, but I could have been, and um, um, or going to court or anything like that, but those, to me, weren't my biggest shameful moments, those are certainly things that I regret. Um, they're mistakes that I made, um, you know, pretty major mistakes that I made. But the, what stuck out in my mind is I'll never forget, and it's something, and there's a reason why I don't forget, which I will get to, is um, on near the end of my drinking, waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror and just say, I blank hate you. Um, And usually, or um, when I did that, it was, I didn't even necessarily know what I had done wrong the night before. Um, But I knew that it was bad, and I know that I absolutely hated myself with every fiber of my being. And um, that type of shame, that, you know, and your definition of the difference between guilt and shame you know, I felt very, I guess I felt very guilty for the times I got arrested and for what I had done. And I had a lot of things to face, but it was it was kind of, those weren't the things that ate me alive. And, um, you know, I thought about, you know, those mornings of looking in the mirror and how stuck I was. I felt awful. I absolutely despised myself. And, but so... I, you know, recognizing that that kept me really, really stuck those feelings that I had, and I didn't learn anything differently until I got sober, um, because I, you know, it was like a vicious cycle. Like you were saying, I would wake up, I would hate myself, and and I would just, you know, feel a little bit during, better during the day, but still have this looming regret and it. I don't quite know how to put words to it, but it was like in my soul, in my very being, just a disgust for myself. And so, you know, it was almost like, well, then I needed to, you know, drink so I could bury those feelings. Mm-hmm. And that is a vicious, endless cycle. And until something stops that cycle, um, that, you know, there's no end to it. And... um and certainly there's other things that I've done, you know, that I've done. There's, um, you know, my friend had a baby shower, and I couldn't made motivate myself to get there, and I ended up, I think I showed up for, you know, a portion of it, and, you know, I just, I was, you know, I had actually drank a little bit before. I think, I think maybe I pulled it off. I probably didn't. <laughs> Um, but you know, just little little things like that where i wasn 't available and present for the people that mattered to me in my life those are you know I had a lot of shame over those things and but um, like i said i I drank over those things because i I felt bad about myself and i just i didn 't want to have to think about them and um, another you know and i also I had gotten to a point too where there 's just sign that was that 's on my way to work. It's like a Good Samaritan sign, and it says, "If you need help, um, call this number." And I remember on more than one occasion just wanting to drive into that pool. That's how. That's what shame did to me. And um, when I got when I got sober, people um, talked to me a lot about that you have to forgive yourself for the past, and um, it was something that was really hard to do. You know, forgive yourself for the past and move forward. And I actually had someone say to me um, that I cared about very much, you know, why couldn't you stop drinking when I asked you to? And, it, you know, um, I kind of, uh, you know, now I can kind of chuckle about it and I can say, well, I didn't really remember that you asked me to. <laughs> but <laughs> cause I, I honestly didn't. I honestly didn't, uh, you know, and, and um, but... But that was really hard. That was So here I was in early sobriety, and that was a question that was, you know, something that was said to me, and I was like, wow. Um, So that gave me a lot of shame. But what I learned from talking to other people is that um, shame keeps you stuck. And um, people told me that if I was going to get better and if I was going to be a good person, that I needed to forgive myself for what I had done in the past. And that, um, that was really hard to do. I had to, you know, realize, and it, um, I think acceptance had a lot to do with it for me, accepting the fact that I couldn't change the things that I had done, um, and I had to accept what I had done and take responsibility for what I had done, which I did. Um, you know, like I said, some of the things that I did involved court and... Um, I faced every last thing that I was supposed to do and I did what I was supposed to do and basically made like a living amends for um, my, the actions that I had done when I was drinking. And um, I think, you know, going through those things and having to do a lot of hard work to make up for, you know, some of the legal issues, you know, helped me to heal myself. It's things that I needed to do for myself and, I look back, and those things were very hard. You know, there was a lot of work to do what I needed to do, but I think it really helped me understand that I can't change what I did, but I can be a better person moving forward. For people that I had harmed, you know, uh, apologizing to them for the things that I had done, and then also accepting that they may not forgive me. But that I think that was a huge part of me moving forward, that, you know, people are entitled to feel how they feel but it also doesn't but that also doesn't change how i feel about me because i know that i'm doing the best that i can
0: do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles, little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk. So you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building.
1: Hi, uh, this is Amy, and um, I also um, had a lot of shame um, that kept me sick too for a very long time. And one of the things that I that I uh, that I want to say is that helped me. Um, now is that to know that I'm not alone and a lot of my shame that I had um in which I felt like you know I let the world down my family my friends my employer they were you know I had these uh, really high expectations um for myself and I always felt like I couldn't live up to them or if, if I um you know um ex- expected to you know be the best mom or be the best employee like I just felt like I I never was what i thought i could be and i always thought that it was you know that it was me that there was something wrong you know i i was like some sort of like tragic cruel mistake or something and you know it, it, and the shame isolated me and um you know it made me feel like you know i was unworthy and i wasn't loved by others the way you know the way i should be and you know um Having said that you know i've let a lot of people down I, I think that the most shameful memory that I have in my um, drinking that um, i that I work on still is my my memory of a lot of the things that I did uh, in front of my son um, you know, as I was drinking, I, you know, I was a single mom, and, you know, he was a baby, and, you know, he saw a lot of things happen to me that, you know, he should, he should have never seen, you know, I had a a shameful memory, too, of being arrested, Um, you know, I, it was in front of my son, and it was after his, you know, six-year-old birthday party at Laser Zone, and, of course, I was um, intoxicated at his party, and I came home, and, You know, I was in the car with my mom and, you know, my aunt and my son and um, my other two uh, niece and nephew, and my mother um, didn't want him to get out of the car with me. She wanted him to go home with her, and me being me, I wanted him to come in the house with me, and we got into, you know, an argument in the parking lot of where I lived, and she would let me out of the car and I got um, physical and um, I, I tried to push her, her feet up to get out of the car. And she, she called the police and the police came and I ran into my house and I grabbed my son. I made a big scene and I brought my son into the house with me and I didn't even realize what was going on. And the next thing I I knew, you know, the police were knocking at my door and you know, my son was in the house with me and they came and they, they took me away and my mother was standing in the parking lot horrified. So she, I guess she didn't expect them to, to do what they did to arrest me and put me in handcuffs and in front of my son and in front of everybody. Because then by then people were coming out of their houses and it was just, it was just a total like embarrassment. But you know, and it, it was bad. It was, um, and then there were things after that, that I did, you know, um, that was shameful to him. I mean, because of that, that, um, arrest, I had an, you know, um, an assault and battery on my, on my record. And, you know, I, I was a volunteer at my son's school and, and they do quarry checks on, on the, you know, the parents that volunteer at the school. And you know, I had it on my, my record for five years. And every year when I would, um, fill up the quarry, they would call me up and they would ask me, you know, what it was. So we would bring it back up and we'd bring it would bring back that day. And the shame would come back. And, you know, it's just, um, something that for me is, is very hard. I mean, now it's, I have put it behind me and, you know, I've gotten through it, but, um, you know, it was a, remi- a constant reminder. And, you know, it wasn't that I stopped there. You know, I, I've done those things, you know, which I'm shameful of that, you know, in front of him that, um, that shouldn't have happened. And I feel, you know, um, I, I was ashamed because I was an alcoholic. I was ashamed because I, it wasn't supposed to happen to me. And I felt like it happened to me because I was. Defective, and there was something wrong with me, and that I was never going to be able to be a a good mom because I was not good enough. And you know, the the way that I had to work through all of these things is, I, as I had to, you know, accept. Also, like Amanda said, you know, I had to um, to deal, you know, with the the um, the shame and not leave it unresolved. I had to, to. The only way for me to get rid of the shame was to accept. Myself for all the fallible human be- for the fallible human being that I am, I-, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect, and I you know it's my ability to forgive myself for the mistakes that I did make and know that there are other people that have made the same mistakes, not maybe the same exact mistakes, but there you know there are a lot of people that you know having been around other alcoholics over the last um, you know five years or so that I hear talk about similar stories, and the more I'm around it, and the more I hear about it, the easier it is for me to move on and to accept all of me, not just parts of me, but to to accept all of me, good, bad, joy, sorrow, everything that comes along with Amy and comes along with me is is okay, and, you know, it helps me shake off the shame and, you know, and continue to heal and to, you know, to recover and to stay whole, And whereas I'm not Feeling, you know, the, um, the memory of, of what I, I did because I, I need to accept it and I need to, you know, um, know that it's okay that it's okay that we make mistakes and it's okay that we learn from our mistakes and that we can share that with someone else who's having a hard time that maybe thinks, you know what, I bet you nobody ever did this before. I'm really, I really did like something really, really bad because a lot of the time what I hear is somebody, that has done something, it's not exactly the same as me, but something very similar. And, you know, we're we're able to get through it. And it's only through talking and getting through it and not isolating, not holding it in, that we're able to put it behind us and, and learn from it and grow from it and move on. So, I mean, that's how I've been able to get through it.
0: Take Good Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by The Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by The Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. others find the message of recovery we champion on the Bubble Hour, plus get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available, as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope.
1: Okay, Ellie, are you free day, Ellie? I am
5: here, and I am just totally absorbed in everything that everybody is saying. You know, when we first started talking about the show and structuring it and thinking about, you know, your most shameful memory or the something that really caused you a lot of shame and or guilt um, as you were getting sober, and I mean, it's really, I really can't totally single out one thing, because mm-hmm. there's just so many. Um, but there was one incident that occurred to me where, and I it was, again, it was getting towards the end of my drinking. And um, as we do, I would sort of, as my drinking progressed, I would put lines in my mind, like lines in the sand saying, you know, I can't be an alcoholic because I've never done this or I would never do that. Like I just kept, you know, I'd never drive, my kids in the car what I'd been drinking, and then I would say, oh, but it's only a mile to the store. And then I would say, I'd never do this. And then I, you know, I just kept pushing that line further and further away and rationalizing it. And one of the things that I had always thought of as a last straw for me had to do with the fact that I might be an alcoholic or I might drink too much, but I'm a good mother. And I would convince myself of this when I had been drinking, of course, when I sobered up and had all the guilt come plenty in the next day, I would feel terribly. And then it would be alcohol and that would help me get back to that place of... Um, sort of false feelings of security or confidence around my mothering. But there was one evening when my kids were younger. um, My daughter was probably four and a half, and my son was probably one and a half. I got sober when they were five and two. And they were both asleep, and my husband was traveling, and I had had one of those afternoons where I said to myself, tonight I'm not going to drink, and so I'm not going to go to the store. I would do a mad dash to to the liquor store, Every day around 5 o'clock, throw my kids in the car and do this mad dash and make sure I had enough. You know, I couldn't run out. And that day around 4.30 or 5, I said, you know what, tonight I'm just not going to do that because this is ridiculous. And I, you know, I'd woken up feeling horrible that morning. And so I put my kids to bed and they fell asleep and I tipped it upstairs around 8 o'clock and I thought they were both sleeping. And I got in the car and I went down the street to get alcohol and I left them home alone. And I pulled in. And walked in the door, and my daughter had walked down the stairs, and she would come around the corner, and she said, Mom, I looked out the window, I didn't see any cars there. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, you don't really think that I would leave you alone, do you? And she said, well, yeah. I said, well, what makes you think, where would I go? Why would I leave you alone? And she said, you'd go to the Redfish store. Mm-hmm. And the Redfish oh. store was the local convenience store where I would go to get my wine on many nights, and the man who ran the store would give them a little Swedish fish for free. So not only did my almost five-year-old figure out that I had left her alone, but she also figured out why, you know, what was more important to me than her safety. She figured it out. And, you know, I held that inside of me for so long after I got sober. I would talk to people in recovery. I would talk to my sponsor. I would talk to all sorts of people, and I would unload just about every memory but that one. I just held on to that one because I had so much shame around it. And I was probably a year and a half sober or so, and I was still feeling a lot of shame. And I thought, maybe it's because I'm just so possessive about this one memory. And so I finally talked to somebody in recovery about it and just sort of sobbed and unloaded the whole thing. And I thought, now that's going to fix the shame thing, right? And I realized that what that did was fix the guilt thing. You know, I really, mm. I had to talk to, the, about, to people about the individual guilt things that would sort of surface... There's a great expression in recovery that I hear sometimes. It says the more sober, the healthier you get, the thicker you were, and that was certainly true oh, for me. As I got more clarity and I got further away from from my drinking, I would look back on these things and be like, "Are you kidding me?" At least that every time I moved that line, and it seemed so rational to me. Now, in the with the clarity, it seemed like total insane behavior. And like, so, just was like that? everybody oh. else, uh, what's
4: mm-hmm. that? Like who was that person?
5: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like everybody else had said, the only way for me to forgive that person that I had been that was still in me somewhere um, was to talk to other people who understood it, was to be able to share a secret like that with somebody who didn't judge me, who you nodded her head and said, oh, yeah, you know, I, that's, I understand. And you were in the grips of your disease. And you were a sick person who needed to get well. You weren't a bad person trying to get good. Then they would explain all these things to me. And little by little, I sort of worked through these memories and these... Little, I call them like gut cringes that every now and then I just go, oh, you know, it just make me feel sick to my stomach. I'd think of something running away from my kids or not being able to play a board game with them without sneaking in the next room and drinking wine. I mean, those things, every time I did those things for the first time in recovery, they would bring what I now recognize as guilt with them. But the shame thing, the shame of feeling bad about who you are and not what you did, that is a work in progress, and I'm not 100% sure that it's... And we're going to completely go away. I feel shame about lots of things, not even just about my drinking career. Or, you know, there's lots of ways that we can feel like we don't measure up in this world. And um, in particular, when it comes to talking to people about being in recovery or being an alcoholic or especially people outside of recovery themselves. um, But I think what I've worked on doing is cultivating an awareness of what my shame voice sounds like to to me. me. How does my shame talk to me? And it talks to me in lots of different forms. Um, and one of them that I, I went to, I heard Brene Brown speak at a, at a conference in Nashville once. And she said, you know, that sometimes it's hard to recognize that, that your shame voice is speaking to you. And mine likes to say things like, who do you think you are? And I didn't even acknowledge that as shame until I got into recovery for a while and heard someone like her speak. And then, um, so it's not always like you're a bad person and you're terrible and you missed your student, your teacher your child teacher conference and that makes you a bad mother, it's not even always the obvious things. It's mm-hmm. when I'm achieving a little bit of success and I'm feeling some shame around that. And so being, I would write about it and take journals and kind of understand that the way that I spoke to myself was worse than anything I would ever tolerate of anybody speaking to, like, I, somebody was sharing a vignette again from Brene Brown today that said, if you... Talk to your children or your loved ones or somebody or your spouse or if somebody talked to your children and your loved ones the way that you talked to yourself you would never allow it and that's true mm. so when I'm getting down on myself I try to think you know if my daughter came to me and said I made this mistake and I feel terribly what I say you're a terrible person and I can't believe you did that and what's wrong with you and you're worse than everybody else no I'd say wow you made a mistake let's let's talk about that and work through guilt instead of feeling shame. And again, I don't even know how much sense all of this makes because it seems like such a fine line between guilt and shame. But I guess in, to, sum, to summarize, I, I worked on the guilt by talking to other people who understood about the things I had done, but working on the shame is something that is a continuing journey for me, and I get frustrated when I'm feeling shameful. I think, oh, shouldn't you be beyond this by now? Like there's some, I don't know, diploma being shame-free that I'm going to receive some face like, yeah, you've got an A in shame resilience. It doesn't work that way, Accepting <laughs> the fact that I'm always going to feel shame, but that I can recognize what it sounds like and what it feels like. Sometimes I feel shame as a physical symptom in my gut, like, oh, hey. somebody will say something nasty about me on the internet or something, and I'll walk around like a stone in my belly all day, and it takes me a while to realize that that stone is shame, that I'm giving that person too much credit. or. You know, I'm paying too much attention to people who are mean than people who are nice or vice versa. And without being able to support, to accept shame, I can't really work through it.
0: All right, everybody, this is where we leave off for this shorter version of this conversation. But the episode does continue for another 30 minutes, and you can hear that if you join us over on Patreon, where we have the extended versions ad-free of all of our shows. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for walking this walk with us. We're glad you're here. Sober is a great way to live. And if it's something you aspire to, keep going. It's worth the effort. If you are walking this walk, please know you're not alone. We thank you for being here. Until next time, please take good care.
3: I own it. I did that. Not proud, me and when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from the power, weakness, head on. You in the mirror And the one who matters most can always hear When you see oh, I'm old, different Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity and I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Oh, you miss A little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free